The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Hello, Tom. How are you doing there? Pretty good, Father. Uh, Father, we received a couple emails concerning the last program where you made mention of, uh, of Vladimir Putin and how he supposedly had this quote of saying that Francis is not a man of God. You referenced mm -hmm. this in past videos as well, and we actually received emails from that that we hadn't had a chance to address. But uh, there seems to be a common theme from these emails that we received saying that that's not actually true, that Vladimir mm -hmm. Putin did not actually say that. So would you care to, to comment upon that, Father? Well, evidently, there, there really is a question as to whether this is, quote-unquote, fake news, okay? Yeah. Even, even our, our resident uh, research expert, Jorge, here has come up with some pretty substantial uh, evidence, I think, that that was entirely fabricated, that statement of Putin. And that um, there are those who, who are actually uh, um, kind of, I don't know if they're Putin operatives or what, but somehow this uh, story has been uh, cooked up by somebody and uh, spread and then taken down when evidently people found out that there was no f basis for it. They couldn't find any evidence for it. So uh, we have an alert a viewer here who wrote in about this, obviously, and brought it to our attention. And now that we're following up on it, we find that he's evidently right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I've... I found it strange anyway, you know, that Putin would would say that about Francis, uh, you know, accused of being a man of the left and so on, because Putin, you know, is a former head of the East German secret police for the communists, uh, the equivalent of the KGB, the Stasi in East Germany. They were very brutal. And uh, there's an effort now being made to project uh, Putin as almost like Saint, Saint Vladimir. Mm -hmm because he's so moral and he's so Christian, and so I'm making a big display of this. But uh, as we saw in last week's show, I mean, he was, he was actually trying to equate communism as a form of Christianity. Right. This is our primitive form of Christianity. So, uh, no, no, we're not ready to canonize Vladimir Putin by any means. You know? mm -hmm. um, and I, I think this uh, viewer did us a great service in bringing this to our attention, and... Uh, uh, now, uh, as I say, our resident uh, uh, expert researcher, Jorge, is still on the trail and is tracing this back to its root source. And we will have some kind of infallible pronouncement from him for long. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, this viewer apparently is correct that this was not correct news. This was uh, fabrication. Yeah. I thought this one email viewed it when he said, uh, I think we must cross-check every statement coming out these days mm -hmm. and is put in the mouth of Russian representatives because they are a target of continuing propaganda. All right. So, right. Well yeah. said. Yep. Father, I would like to uh, address this email that we received from a new viewer in the state of New Jersey. He writes mm -hmm. in and says, Thank you for helping me make my faith stronger. I live in New Jersey, and for the last two to three years, I've been very upset with what I was observing in my Nova Sordo church. I was able to at least get to find a Latin Mass in my area. 
and I am a considerable distance from any chapels of the SSPX. But I'm tired of seeing disgraceful conduct by both laity and clergy in my local churches. I had to share with you a question I sent to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops about communion in the hand. A few months ago, I witnessed an extraordinary minister using antibacterial soap and going up to the tabernacle to distribute communion. And then he attaches here his uh, actual email thread that he had with the, uh, with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, where he wrote in an, an email question to them. And they replied and said that uh, only the uh, EMHCs, the extraordinary ministers, and the pastor can explain the reason for this practice in your parish with certainty. I can only guess. However, it may be a precaution during the flu season. And he provides a section uh, for the the uh, church's liturgical response to influenza, and he outlines here how uh, they say that a further precaution suggests an alcohol-based antibacterial solution before and after distributing Holy Communion. And so, Father, do you have any comment on this, of these extraordinary ministers in the Novus Ordo uh, do, doing this with this this further precaution of uh, hand sanitizer. Tom, it, it, it is all kind of a illogical consequence of a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Of a very non-Catholic idea, in fact. Yeah. I mean, early on in the Church's history, she um, saw to it that only the priests or the deacons were able to administer Holy King. There was a very important reason for that, okay? Because of the Church's belief that really is the actual body of Christ. And that he is, he is actually corporally present there, uh, as I would say, physically present there, and uh, he is. And then every particle of the host, you know, is the presence, the real presence. So once the Novus Ordo came in with their intention to degrade the Catholic faith in the real presence, okay, uh, to make it more of a Lutheran idea or even just a Calvinist idea, you know, they... Um, they went to the hand communion route in order to uh, to uh, make, let's say, the reception of the communion no more than just receiving a wafer, like in a Protestant service, right? And so they took away the precautions. Uh, they took away the communion plate, they took away the, the white cloth, anything that would catch the host if it dropped, anything that would catch the particles of the host. They began to put it in people's hands, they began allowing uh, lay people to be handing out hosts, you know, men and women just handing out hosts. Extraordinary ministers are called. They're not extraordinary. They've got them everywhere now, right? <laughs> Sometimes the their minister goes and sits down on the side and lets the lay people take over. Extraordinary ministers, you know, it's another one of these Nova sort of just f f fictions, right? But you know, when you allow all of these people to be doing that, of course you're going to have germs. The very process of taking it from hand to hand. You're going to be transferring germs. Uh, the very process uh, of all the people being involved in handing it all out. You're going to have. You're going to have the process of, of spreading germs. You know. <clears throat> you, one might say, "Well, look at the old days. So look when they did administer. They had the priest and the priest alone administering holy communion on the tongue to kneeling people. You know, the question of placing it on the tongue is much more." dangerous, right, so as far as transferring germs. And the, the strange thing is they never had that problem before. They actually didn't. And um, because when the priest administers Holy Communion to the people and he administers on the tongue, 
He's gotten quite good at placing the host in the tongue without touching the tongue. Uh, on any given Sunday, you know, I might just administer Holy Communion to 400 people. And uh, actually, to come into contact with the tongue of any one of them is quite rare. I might go be 10 Sundays without having that problem not happen once, you know. Uh, but when it does happen, even then, you know, the priest keeps his fingers together from the moment he consecrates the host. He does not separate those fingers except to pick up the host and put it down, to take it up and release it. That's the only time he separates those fingers. They've done away with that in the Novus Order too, because they're all grubbing. I mean, watch, watch, you know, Paul VI, um, John Paul II, Benedict, um, and uh, Francis. Watch the, the videos of them whenever they're saying their new Mass. All the way through, they're just grabbing things like that, picking up the chalice and so on. Uh, but the traditional Mass, and you always see, for example, Padre Pio, who never really said the new Mass, you know. They try to make it sound as though he did, but he didn't. He's always got those fingers together. And all traditional priests always keep those fingers together. The point is that where the priest's fingers come in contact with the host, that is sacrosanct. That does not touch the tongue of anyone. Even if the priest were to touch the tongue of anybody once as he's missing Holy Communion, it might be on the knuckle, but it was not where he holds the host. So none of that saliva or anything would be transferred to the host, because that never uh, touches anything but the host, precisely because of that practice. <clears throat> and that's very important during flu season or any time that the people know that the host they're receiving has touched nothing but the washed fingers of the, of the priest's hands <clears throat> at the lavabo, and then from the moment he consecrates, they touch nothing. They can touch nothing but the host. Uh, so that's, that's a source, should be a source of great confidence for the Catholic people during the, the times of even plague, you know. Uh, they're in more in danger of catching the plague for each other when they're sitting in the pew than they, than they, than they are when they come to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so I consider this whole thing to be nothing but a uh, carrying out of the, the consequences of the Novus Ordo uh, modernist uh, revolution. They have to resort to such things now because they have abandoned the churches. Uh, true piety, and they've replaced it with fertile grounds for sacrilege and blasphemy. Blasphemy in their teaching and sacrilege in their behavior. Mm -hmm. And Father, you, you mentioned these videos of sacrilegious behavior, and uh, I'll never forget the one I, I, I've seen. I believe it might have been in the Philippines where they have what's set up almost just like a, some kind of buffet line where all the uh, participants are, are coming up and just grabbing handfuls of the host and mm -hmm. going along. And it just seems to be such a common theme that you see so often. And it's mm -hmm. just uh, it's just incredible to, to see the difference between that and the traditional church and just how far that they have fallen. And, and you expect things like this to happen. You expect these kind of problems to happen. I mean, there's a reason that the church instituted these mm -hmm. these these norms and these, these practices. And when you go against that, of course, you're going to have these, these type of problems. Up. Absolutely, it's inevitable. Yeah. I, I know Protestants who have been horrified and, and scandalized by what they've seen going on in these so-called Catholic churches. And the sad part is they actually believe they're Catholic churches to try to make them understand that they're the result of a modernist revolution. And they do not represent Catholicism. They, they represent modernism, a new faith. 
and uh, the religion of that new faith, of the Novus Ordo, the new order. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, Father, let's move on then. We, uh, we spoke in the last programs about final arrangements for Catholics, and we received a couple emails in regards to that. Mm -hmm. This one was nice here. It has a few um, helpful helpful tips I'd like to get your feedback on. Okay. He says that, uh, thank you for the good programs. I share them with others. Father talked of priests being notified in case of an emergency. What I did was write traditional Catholic and our priest's name and phone number and the number for the seminary on a bit of a file folder. And this is folded around my driver's license. If there was an accident, the police or EMTs couldn't help but see it. And the same information is also in my rosary purse, which is always in a pocket. Mm -hmm. Good. That's a very good thing to do. Yeah. Um, another uh, viewer actually did mention to me as well uh, that it's important to point out to people when they're making their final arrangements not to trust anything in the will to... <clears throat> Determine anything that happens with regard to their funeral, burial arrangements. By the time the will is probated, all of that is already taken care of. So people who think they're going to dictate in their will how they want to be buried, the mass that they want offered, and so on, they're making a big mistake. That is all going to be decided before the will uh, is necessarily even, even considered. So they have to make arrangements uh, apart from the will and prior to the will. Yeah, we, we received an email that, that talks about that very thing. Oh, Father, good. Just, okay. uh, he says that I, I saw your last, their last show on the final arrangements, and it was very informative. Having experienced funerals where the family disregarded the wishes of the deceased, I heartily agree with all of your recommendations to reasonably assure that one's wishes be carried out. Yeah. I have heard people tell me that their wishes for a traditional Catholic requiem mass at a traditional chapel was spelled out in their last will and testament. Oh, that, that is fine for earthly material property and possessions, but not for the funeral arrangements. Mm -hmm. The funeral must proceed quickly, long before the last will and testament is read. By that time, it is too late. Mm -hmm. Also, in regards to the living will, Father, you are right to urge caution when considering a living will. As an RN, I know it can be interpreted mm -hmm. in a myriad of ways. When my mother and mother-in-law became ill, we did not have, nor did we ever fill out a living will. But when the facility asked for one, my mother simply said, my daughter is my living will. She will make all decisions and speak for me when I can no longer speak for myself. Mm -hmm. So my mother-in-law did, did the same. So very well stated. Well, very well stated. Um, <clears throat> we actually had one case. We, we had a number of cases where a family disregarded the expressed wishes of uh, a family member who passed away. One dear lady, uh, she and her husband would attend Mass together, and he died, and he had the Catholic funeral because she had the power to decide for him. But when she died, the, fam uh, the, family, the family actually had moved her away from the church, put her in a nursing home in another state. She didn't even know it. They concealed this from her. She found out that she was actually far away from the chapel where she had attended for years and years. Only when one of the chapel members actually found, found her, you know, found where she was, called her and uh, asked the poor lady to give her the address, the mailing address, so she could write. And the poor lady picked up a brochure from the nursing home she was in and began reading the address and she got to the city and state, and she's, she was mystified. Well, what am I doing here? I mean, I, like she was deceived, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and she died within a matter of about three weeks. 
Probably a broken heart. The family made arrangements for some kind of a Novus Ordo funeral. The only reason we even knew about this is because she had friends back in her home chapel who happened to read the obituaries and they saw her name there, that she had died. And so, from her hometown. So they actually drove to the, the other state where she was living. And they, they arrived for the funeral service. It wasn't traditional Catholic. And the family appeared really unhappy to see her friends, her traditional Catholic friends, show up for this, and wondering, how did they find out about this? We thought we were being so clever in concealing this from everybody. So that's how devious people can be. You know, no matter what insurances they give before you die, when you're dead, they figure, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it, it doesn't affect you, it only affects us, and we're going to do what's convenient for ourselves. So you really have to uh, take uh, control of the situation while you still can, mm -hmm. to make sure that you have the traditional Catholic Mass, traditional Catholic burial. Yeah, that's tough. Mm. Well, Father, from there, let's go to Nova Scotia. This viewer says, A very happy and holy Christmas tide to you and yours. I just stumbled across what Catholics believe videos on YouTube and watched at least 10 of them in a row. Great work and thank you. My, this person has a strong constitution. <laughs> yeah. I live in Nova Scotia, Canada, and my diocese is nothing but Nova Sordo land ripe with loads of modernist clergy and some dying off twisted sisters. My question for oh Father my. Jenkins would be, what is a Catholic to do when there is no other parish to go to? No other parish to receive the most holy Eucharist and to, and to fulfill your Sunday obligations. I have been brought up in Novus Ordo, and since the 70s, it has become worse and worse with each passing year. I am convinced it is a sect and not a mass. I resolve to read sacred scripture, do extra rosaries, and read meditations on the saints of the saints on Sunday. I have no other option, and I cannot bring myself to go back to the Novus Ordo. I am especially concerned with no sacrament of confession and absolution. Am I in the wrong to be doing this? Are there any SSPV chapters in Canada? Not that I could go to, because no doubt if there were any, I would have to fly, and that would be absolutely an, uh, impossible. Thank you in advance for your response. Well, thank you. Thank you for your email message, and thank you for watching. And uh, we do not have any SSPV, Society of St. Pius V, uh, chapels in Canada. Uh, I think in the years ahead, hopefully we will, you know. Uh, the congregation may well be able to open up chapels there. For the time being, we, we haven't any. Uh, there are some independent traditional Catholic priests up there. I don't know all of them. I, I don't know many of them, in fact, but I know there are some. And uh, one, of our, one of our priests, Father Martin Skierke out in Montana, does travel to Lethbridge, uh, I think once a month for Mass, but you know, Canada's a big glad <laughs> mass, so I don't know how close or far that is from where our good writer is there. But uh, I would ask, uh, uh, would they be capable of driving, I don't know how far they live from the border, would they be capable even of driving, say, uh, to Roundtop, New York, uh, once a month or once every three months for Mass, uh, Holy Communion, for a confession, you know? Um, if they would be capable of making that journey, um, 
once every you know few months. That would be worth, worth definitely worth the trip. You know, they could might not be able to do every week. And furthermore, if he or she could uh, enlist some other dear soul to even watch what Catholics believe with him or her, and agree to make the trip with them, uh, that would make the, the trip perhaps much more doable. Even taking a bus, I don't know. I don't know what kind of public transportation there would be there. But uh, there are ways to get to traditional chapels, um, maybe quarterly during the year. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that she do that, um, or he. <clears throat> uh, in the Florida chapel, Our Lady of Peace, there is an intrepid individual who is actually setting up a live, I'm not sure about the terminology here, I guess they call it live streaming, uh, live stream mass. So the mass is offered at Our Lady of Peace at 5 p.m. every Sunday. And uh, this fine gentleman who is actually uh, a, a friend of the other very fine gentleman who has the library uh, in, his, in his mind, in his memory. <laughs> and um, this gentleman is setting up the electronics to live stream the mass. So it would be available not only while the mass is in progress. I guess they call they call it real time. Mm -hmm. I'm two for two. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. bad. <laughs> and uh, but also have it recorded and accessible mm -hmm. at any time uh, for the mass for that Sunday. And so uh, in any case, if you go on the What Catholics Believe site, you will see the sign for Our Lady of Peace Chapel. And that means the, the sermon given the previous Sunday is right there. It's accessible. But this is a different matter here. This is a... Actually, somebody would have to go to the Our Lady of Peace website. And I'm sorry to uh, say that I don't know exactly what the URL. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. The URL is for that. But nonetheless, uh, the, if you dial in or uh, type in Our Lady of Peace Chapel... Boynton Beach, Florida, B-O-Y-N-T-O-N, Florida, um, Seacrest Boulevard, I'm sure that something would come up, and they would probably be directed to the site, website, and hopefully, if not already, then in the near future, we'll have that uh, the mass live streamed from the chapel. We, we received a lot of requests for that, so I know that would reach a lot of people. Interesting. All right. Well, then, Father, we had a viewer uh, some time ago send us a link to an article from a London Catholic school, a St. Benedict's there, where there uh, apparently was a scandal, but the usual of, uh, of different sexual abuse crimes that were occurring there and how these crimes had just infested this whole entire school and taken over. And there was a survivor of some of this abuse who just spoke out about the constant violence that, that happened there. And this viewer wrote in and, and asked, Father, what do we do about these scandals? And maybe you've answered this before, he said, but... I can guess that the Vatican II reforms had a lot to do with this. Would you say that's correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more than a guess. I'd say at least an educated guess in that general part, or lady. That the Vatican II so-called reforms had everything to do with this. Um, you know, again, modernism does this. You know, modernism says, uh, basically, um, you know, it, it's a psychological thing. Even faith is uh, psychological about a religious sense. Everything about modernism is psychological. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at what the psychologists did, 
with the approval of the, of the modernist bishops out in California after Vatican II, how they destroyed entire religious houses, even entire religious congregations by introducing the psychology of modernism among the religious out there. And the religious didn't simply lose their vocations, they lost their faith. And, and in some cases, all their morality. Uh, I won't go into some of the sordid details of what these young women did when they left the continent. Uh, and what they were doing before they left. It's, hor it's, it's horrific. Uh, and, um, but this is what modernism does, and it, it turns loose all of the, all of the um, base passions of, uh, of a human being, and, and it glorifies them. It glorifies them and uh, says that you are being true to yourself when you, when you surrender to these things. Um, that's what modernism does. To the extent that one embraces modernist principles and actually puts them into effect, the more you're going to find that debauchery. Mm -hmm. And there's no other word better for it than debauchery. That's what it leads to, absolute debauchery. Father, they say that the corruption of the best thing is the worst thing. And I always thought that that was the, the quintessential example of that. You're using some pretty hefty words, quintessential <laughs> there. But you're right. I mean, corruptio optimi pessima is a, is a very solid principle that the corruption of the best is the worst, which means that the higher something is in, in its profession, when it falls, when it gets corrupted, it becomes something awful. I mean, it gets, it's that much worse. Like Satan, when Lucifer fell, how bad did he become, right? Mm -hmm. How exalted he was, how far he fell. I guess the point is the bigger they come, the, 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 the harder or the farther they fall. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, when you have a, a fallen hope, that's a, you wind up with a... You know, Peter himself, St. Matthew chapter 16, Read it. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter, chapter 16. Uh, I say to you that flesh and blood have not revealed to that you, this to you, but my Father in heaven. And thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And a few minutes later, he's Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you're a scandal to me. That's how far he fell. Why? Because he, he was mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. An illustration of your point there, Tom. Father, that leads perfectly into our next email. I thought we could end with this one because it might take some time. There's some rather deep, deep questions here. This person asks, uh, if Lucifer's soul was perfect from the onset... Well, he never saw Why did he... Well, Jack, correct correct, me, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. They okay. had that there. Mm -hmm. what, why did he succumb to pride and allow his soul to be deformed? And how did he manage to convince one-third of the angels to follow him? Marketing. <laughs> Uh, he invented it, I think. Uh, no, actually, Lucifer did not have a soul. He Angels are spirits without bodies, so he didn't need a soul. Souls are the spirits of men created by God to be united with material bodies. Okay? I mean, I understand that the person is basically saying, how does spirit, how did the spirit who is this angel, right? Because angels are not composed, they're pure spirits. How did he fall if God made him perfect, right? But uh, the angels were not created with a beatific vision. They didn't see God. But they, they also, um, 
teaching is they were created in great grace just as Adam and Eve were created in grace, but they had a choice to make, you know. And um, if Adam and Eve were impressed by their own perfections, as inferior as they were to the angels, if they were so impressed by their own perfections and by the promise that they could become their own gods, if they could be deceived by this and believed this, and believe this and embrace this, uh, so that they willingly sinned, how much more a, an angel who is so far above them and whose perfections are so much more dazzling and impressive than a mere human creature of God, right? Um, you see, all creatures have the pride of life, their existence, right? They have a certain pride that is built into them. And uh, that pride can be ordered insofar as they see the perfections that they have as having been given to them. Even the perfection of their own existence is something that they receive from God, okay? <clears throat> and if they remember that, and they acknowledge that they have received everything, including their own existence from God who created them, then that sort of, sort of pride in that is ordered. It's not disordered. It's not sinful. God wants us to appreciate the good that he's invested in us by creating us. God wants us to delight in the good and the perfections that are in us that he put there. But he wants us to delight in them in such a way that we acknowledge that they reflect him and they come from him and they are ordered toward him. The moment we disassociate, disassociate that, that, as it were, appreciation for and that um, enjoyment of and so on of our own perfections, we disassociate them from God, from God and we, we ourselves uh, lay claim to them as though they are of ourselves and they entitle us, right, to a certain... Uh, well, I mean, you know, we talk about uh, self-esteem these days, okay? Well, self-esteem is what we're talking about here. That Satan was full of self-esteem. No self-respect, which would have awarded him to God, but self-esteem. He was so dazzled by his own perfections. But, and, and unwilling to attribute to God the credit that that pride of life carried him away. And he said, I will be I will place my throne as the Most High, right? And he would be his own God. It's the same temptation that he later represented to Adam and Eve. That's the temptation that he fell to. You know? But you ask, or our writer asks, how could a perfect a creator, a, a spirit created with perfections, succumb to that? Well, <clears throat> the fact is that no creature is God. So every creature is susceptible to going astray. God did not create Lucifer or anything else defective, but because all that he created are creatures, they are defectible. They are defectible. <clears throat> and rational creatures are creatures that have the power to know what is true and to love what is good, to even know what truth and goodness are, and have that image of God in them to that, in, that, in that way. 
They, they too are not defective, but they're defectible. God created the angels and ourselves, Adam and Eve, in the perfection of nature, the angelic nature and the, and the human nature. But they are not God, and because of that, they are not absolute perfection. They are not absolute, uh, they're not pure act, as we say, right? They're not infinite perfection, whatever, however you want to say it. <coughs> and so they can go bad. And that is why there was a test. That's precisely why Lucifer was confronted with uh, making an act of humility, which is simply a matter of his acknowledging that the perfections he had were from God, and that he owed them to God, and that he owed that gratitude for them to God. And he was so dazzled by his own, by his own perfections, that he would not do that. I will not serve. He was asked to serve. St. Thomas Aquinas thought that he, his task, as it were, that act of submission and humility would have placed him at the service of mankind as kind of a super guardian angel over all mankind to enable all mankind to, to be faithful to God. And uh, he was so offended by being asked to be placed, in a sense, at our service, that he rebelled against the idea. I mean, after all, I mean, you see a great angel like Lucifer, and here we are, you know, fingernails and, you know, hair and, and you know, pores, you know, <laughs> with all this, these uh, physical limitations. He, he evidently thought it was highly insulting to him that God would ask him, this great angel, to be of that service. Mm -hmm. um, and service to God, service to us. Mm -hmm. St. Thomas thought he, this was the, uh, this is what he, he, he would not, he absolutely would not do this. And uh, to this day, he doesn't repent of it because as an angel, he knew the decision he was making. He knew all that he needed to know to make that decision. We can't, he can't discover anything he didn't know at that time that would change his mind. Uh, that's how keen the angelic intellect was. He knew everything he needed to know about that decision, which is why he can't repent. But because we're imbeciles, we just kind of logically go from one thing to another, we reason our way through uh, from truth to truth, we can make mistakes and we can also change our minds and we can repent. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> and Lucifer resents that in us, that God's grace is still active even for the sake of sinners, that we can repent, whereas he can't and he hates us for it. And he can't get at God, but he can get at us. And that's his way of, in a sense, uh, in his own mind, uh, you know, attacking God and getting even, <laughs> as it were. Um, but in, in any case, um, we see that a mentality, even in people who pout, feel sorry for themselves, they got a raw deal, and um, they were expected to do things that, was, that were beneath them, that it wasn't fair. And so this is you know, the way people are. We see sometimes that malice in people, too, about how they resent <coughs> and envy those who have what they don't and, and can't get. All of that, you know, we see reflected in, in, in people's sins here on earth. So we should have a certain understanding of what went on with him. Um, 
even though it was a highly elevated thing, an angelic mind. And um, we see that uh, he made the choice. And um, even though God created him in the perfection of his limited created nature, it was still defectible, even if God created it. Not defective, but perfect according to what the angelic nature required. It was all there. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what more there is to say, so I better stop here because uh, I can keep going. Yes, you're not. Father, you... If the person, if whoever wrote that uh, has thoughts about, well, this, what about this, what about that, go ahead and send another email and we'll try to follow up with you. You mentioned this this idea of the the difference between self-respect and self-esteem and I, I've mentioned this to you before father as you know I'm a, a professional sign language interpreter by day and and the difference in American sign language between the two concepts of, of self-respect and self-esteem I thought is, is very revealing because the the how you would sign self-respect is, is literally self-respect and even has this sense of kind of going upward of, of respecting something and so you literally sign self-respect but self-esteem is this sign here which shows this kind of swelling up and I always I always thought of, of equating that to uh, how St. Paul in Sacred Scripture talks about being puffed up and, and, and I think that that shows Isn't that, that interesting? That's, that's the they distinguish between the two concepts though. exactly I, I think that is the, the one sort of pride from within and the other sort of a bit of humility I, yeah I think that's the that's the referring to that's the defining characteristic between good and evil mm -hmm. is this self-respect of, of rendering to God what is God's and mm -hmm. then this self-esteem of being yeah. puffed up within ourselves. And I thought that that, that was um, quite revealing to, to see the difference. Between yeah, that is very revealing. Thanks for pointing that yeah. out. <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. It's good to know. Uh, it, on, on the same email, Father, you, you it seems you answered this question. This is actually a three-part question concerning mm. Lucifer yeah. here. But they, uh, they asked if it's possible for demons to be perfectly evil or can they be redeemed? And it seems that you answered that by saying that they already knew everything that they could have known, and there's mm. no new information that a demon could. But require. they can't be perfectly. There's no such thing as perfectly evil. It's one of those oxymorons, actually, because <laughs> perfect means it has all the perfections that yeah. go into it, yeah. and evil is a is a denial of the perfection or an absence of the perfection, right? Yeah. So, um, if we mean completely evil, well, um, remember, evil is like an abscess. It's the absence of a perfection that really should be there. There's a physical evil. We don't say a stone is blind because it cannot see. But a person can be blind because a person should see, should be able to see. That's the way they're made by nature with the power of sight, right? And so it is a physical evil when a person loses his, his, his eyesight. Um, so it is spiritually with the soul when there should be the virtue of prudence or justice, of fortitude, temperance, when there should be the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and they're absent in the soul, that is an evil. That's something missing that really needs to be there, and it's not there. That's the very definition of evil, the absence of a due perfection. Okay, And so when something is perfect, it has all of the perfections that belong to it by nature and by grace, you know? I mean, 
uh, human beings are capable of the perfection of supernatural perfections of supernatural virtues. And when the perfections that are due there, whether by nature or by grace, are not there, that's when you have evil. Uh, so, if one asked, well, is even Lucifer perfectly evil? The answer will be, well, no, not technically speaking. Is he completely evil? Is he evil itself? Is he subsistent evil? No, because to be subsistent evil, he would even have to lack the perfection of existence. He would have to annihilate himself out of existence, and he can't. And this really bothers him, <laughs> you know, because even his existence he receives from God, and he knows it. He did not create himself, and it really galls him that he still owes that to God. And he doesn't have the power to change his own angelic nature. He can, he can mar it, he can mutilate it, he can do it, but he can't change the nature that God gave him. He still remains an angel, albeit a fallen angel. And to the extent that he has still the natural powers of an angel, he still has perfections that God willed. And, and Lucifer cannot escape the fact that he cannot destroy those. Mm -hmm. Father, I think a, a related question to this concept that you're talking about, tell me if this applies here, but mm -hmm. when you're dealing with, with, uh, with atheism, that seems to be the worst thing that a man is capable of because he is not even rendering to God the perfection of existence. Or if someone has a, a formal contempt or a hatred of God, at least, at the very least, they're giving to God that, that perfection of mm -hmm. existence. So would that seem to apply uh, to no, exactly. I think you're right. I think, I think absolutely would apply. I mean, actually, St. Thomas says blasphemy is the worst sin you can commit. And the denial of God even having... Well, St. Thomas says blasphemy is the worst sin you can commit, according to its kind. And he says blasphemy is the attributing to God of something that is not true of him, or the denial of God toward God of something that is true of him. Well, that means to attribute something to God that is not true is to attribute to him an imperfection or to deny a perfection that he really does have. Well, that the, the fundamental perfection is existence. I am who I am, right? Yahweh. That is the fundamental, the aseity of God that he is, his own existence. That goes right to the heart of the matter of who he is. He is the supreme being. And... Some, an atheist who denies that goes right to, attacks God right at the very essence, as it were, of the divine being. That, that is so evil, you know? And uh, that is why, among other things, like the, the first uh, gift of the Holy Ghost is fear of the Lord. Uh, the ultimate is love, wisdom. But at least in fearing the Lord, someone acknowledges his existence and his power to, of justice, to reward the good and punish the wicked. That is fear of the Lord. That's where the Holy Ghost starts in the soul. And that's where respect comes in, as you mentioned, having respect for God. Even if there's not love, at least there's the acknowledgence of his existence and his justice. And that's, that's the place everyone starts, as it were of uh, making their way to heaven, making their way on earth through faith and hope and charity, and finally being saved in God's grace. So, uh, St. Paul says, and you can, we can understand why in light of all this, that without faith it is impossible to please God. 
because that's the first thing we owe him. The acknowledgments, the acknowledgement of his existence and his truthfulness. Mm -hmm. Father, the third part of the question here, the third and final part, it seems we've already covered this as well. And, and they ask, can God create his opposite for a purpose, such as working through a demon? And it seems the answer, of course, would, would, would be no, that he cannot create his opposite. Would that be correct? That's right. I mean, sometimes people ask questions like, can God do all things? And we say, well, of course, God can do all things. <laughs> They said, well, can God um, annihilate himself? No. Could he create his opposite, like an anti-God? No. Can he make a square circle? I guess in Einsteinian uh, relativity, he could sort of play with that a bit, I suppose. Can he make a, a stone so heavy he can't lift it? Right? You might have heard that. Well, you know, these questions are interesting gymnastic questions, but the fact is, God cannot do anything that contradicts his nature. And uh, so he can't contradict himself. That's not a perfection. That's an imperfection. So God cannot do anything that would be a denial of himself in his own nature as supreme truth. So, no, he can't create an anti-God, an infinite evil being, because that would be a being that had no perfections and no existence in, in its very definition. Because mm -hmm. uh, existence is the first first act, it's the first first perfection. Mm -hmm. It's where everything starts. You know? And uh, God cannot make a stone so heavy he would lift it. It would be an oxymoron. It would be uh, worse than that. It would be a self-contradiction. Um, and no, I mean, that, but that's not a, an imperfection in God that he can't do that. It's just that he can't contradict himself. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not like Allah. Allah can change his mind. He's pure will. He just decides, you know, on the fly, whatever he wants to do at that moment. And that's what everybody has to do. You know, no questions asked. But that's not God as he has revealed himself and as we know him in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is consistent with truth and consistent with himself always. He's not some spoiled child who just does whatever whim, you know, uh, he feels like, uh, and, and playing with his creatures to his own malevolent satisfaction and treating them like slaves, which is the very essence of Islam. Islam, submission, Abdul, slave, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Being the slave of, uh, of Allah, you know. And yet, here we are, knowing the true God through our Lord Jesus Christ, His own divine Son. And by grace, we are the children of God. He adopts us as His own children. Mm -hmm. Suggest that to an Islamic about being a child of God. They consider that blasphemy, worthy of death, to suggest such a thing. And yet this is the very, the very core meaning heart of true Christianity, mm -hmm. sanctifying grace. Yeah. I always, I always thought that was an interesting discussion, Father, talking about, uh, I've read that very discussion before, where you say God can do all things, yet then the next question is, well, can God create a stone so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Mm. And you say no, and it seems to be a, a, an illogical contradiction there, but I read that it's actually a, a compliment to, to God to say, mm -hmm. because a square circle, there's it, it doesn't exist, there's no such thing, so it's actually rendering imperfection to God to say he cannot create a thing that is not a thing. So it's actually rendering a perfection to him, a compliment to him, to say that he cannot do 
<clears throat> thing. Right, right, exactly. Which is to say that he's consistent with himself. Yeah. Um, exactly, exactly right, Tom. So um, those who would suggest that he can are, again, blaspheming. <laughs> and so they're farther attributing to him something that does not belong to him. No. It's an imperfection <clears throat> no. to do such things. So, um, well, we can attribute those things to Allah, <laughs> but <laughs> not good. to the true God. Sounds good. Um, well, I, I think we can. Uh, I think we can stop there, Father. I think that was enough mental well, gymnastics for tonight. <laughs> perhaps so, Tom. I, I appreciate our readers, our listeners, uh, who have persevered this far, <laughs> and uh, must say they have very strong constitutions, like the one yep. listener who listened to ten straight programs. <laughs> there That's impressive. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We should me, have Father. awards for people like that. Yeah, I'll certainly do. Pray for we pray for all those who are watching, but also for those who write in and ask questions. We do keep mm -hmm. them right and do remember them yep. in our prayers. Thank you, Father. God bless you, Tom, and thank you for your help. Too. No problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.